Hey friends, this is Michael Bohm with Youth Apologetics Training. Uh, today we're going to have a guest, Holly Pivik, on the, on the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. We're going to be talking about the new apostolic reformation. Now, I've talked about this subject before in the past. Uh, Holly has a book that she co-authored with uh, R. Douglas Givet. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his name. We'll find out in this interview. But they co-authored two books together, God's Super Apostles, as well as another one, A New Apostolic Reformation, A Biblical Response to a Worldwide Movement. Now, many of you know, if you've been tracking with me for a while, uh, that I come out of basically a, a hyper-charismatic background that, uh, for the most part, subscribes to much of what we find in the New Apostolic Reformation. Um, not all who are part of the, the more word-of-faith, hyper-charismatic crowd are part of the New Apostolic Reformation, and not all who are part of the New Apostolic Reformation subscribe to a lot of the uh, um, zany stuff that you see coming from the word-of-faith movements and the hyper-charismatic type uh, crowd. But whatever the case, there is a lot of intermingling of the two crowds, uh, as well as many from the far uh, religious right, I, I, you guys know my political views. I'm, I'm actually pretty far right myself. But when you start bringing dominionism into the picture, things start getting a little bit hairy. But whatever the case, let's talk about Holly. Uh, Holly is an evangelical researcher of cults, sects, and new religious groups, such as the New Apostolic Reformation Movement. She has a master's degree in Christian apologetics from Biola University in Southern California. She's written articles for numerous print and online publications, including Biola Magazine, the Christian Research Journal, and Apologetics Index. Uh, Holly, welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Holly Pivik, welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Thanks, Michael. Thank you so much for asking me to be on your show. I did pronounce that right. Uh, Holly Pivik? Yes, that's correct. Pivik. Okay, good. Good. Okay, so friends, today we're going to be talking about the new apostolic reformation. Uh, we have talked about this in the past. Holly has written or co-written uh, two different books uh, with uh, R. Douglas Guyvet, and uh, both of them are fantastic. One of them, God's Super Apostles, I have already read cover to cover, and... Um, Boy, I can relate to so much that's in there. Fantastic read. Uh, now I've started into a new apostolic reformation, uh, and that is uh, a more scholarly approach to the subject. Um, great books. Holly is uh, a researcher on the new apostolic reformation, so this ought to be very interesting. So, uh, Holly, first of all, what is the new apostolic reformation? Well, Michael, the New Apostolic Reformation is a new religious movement, and it's uh, led by men and women who claim to be apostles and prophets, uh, similar with similar authority and functions to the Old Testament prophets and the uh, New Testament apostles of Christ. And uh, these these NAR, I say NAR for shorthand for New Apostolic Reformation, these NAR apostles and prophets claim that all Christians must submit to their leadership and receive their new revelation so that they can lead the church in setting up God's kingdom on earth. And so 
they will claim that the reason the church has not been successful to date in completing the Great Commission and setting up God's kingdom on earth is because apostles and prophets have largely been ignored through church history. Most churches are governed by pastors and elders and denominational leaders. And they will say without apostles and prophets at the helm, um, above these other leaders, um, the church has not had the proper biblical government in place. And only now that that churches are starting to embrace apostles and prophets can, you know, the church finally finish the Great Commission, set up God's kingdom on earth. And they will claim that Christians who refuse to submit to them will, you know, at the very least miss out on God's end-time plans. And and those who speak critically about the apostles and prophets are seen by by some prominent um, NAR leaders as under the influence of a powerful demon, which they um, refer to as the spirit of religion. So, uh. Uh, see That's now, it in a nutshell. <laughs> I, I uh, when I left a very hyper charismatic church in the past, um, that was affiliated with the New Apostolic Reformation in some ways. Uh, that's exactly what I was accused of when I left the following Sunday. The pastor devoted an entire sermon to badmouthing me and my wife and one of the, the the claims he kept bringing to the table is they have a religious spirit and and really what that came down to is i read my bible that's that was the big gripe um but anyway sorry little rabbit trail there so how big <clears throat> how big and influential is the nar oh well, you know this is this is what's surprising to many people because uh, many people have not yet heard of the New Apostolic Reformation by that formal name. Though when they start hearing names of leaders and organizations, they'll go, oh yeah, I, I've heard of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, or I've heard of Bethel Church in Reading, or, you know, um, but, but it's a global movement. It's experiencing explosive growth in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, and is actually, uh, responsible for much of the, um, incredible growth we hear about in, in that region of the world and the global south. Um, it's also influential here in the United States. Uh, NAR churches can be found in virtually every city and town, um, in, in some cases multiple NAR churches. Approximately 3 million people attend these NAR churches, and, and these churches are churches that have formally submitted to the authority of a NAR apostle. But in addition to these churches, um, Many classical Pentecostal and charismatic churches have also um, come under the influence of NAR teachings to some degree or another. So, so given that, um, millions of Christians here just in the United States alone have um, been influenced or come into contact with NAR teachings to some degree or another. It's It's interesting that you say that many people don't realize that uh, the, even what this movement is, and they won't even know it by name. The church that I was attending, and when we left there, we ended up in another somewhat um, new apostolic reformation, NAR-type environment as well. I don't think anybody in those uh, churches would have recognized it by the name New Apostolic Reformation. So it really is a movement. 
That's correct. Bo- and and uh, C. Peter Wagner, one of the most influential in our apostles, coined the term New Apostolic Reformation. So it actually is a term uh, used by NAR leaders, but um, it, it's it's more of a formal name, and and it's not it's not widely known. So most people, and even in our churches, have not heard that term. Um, but um, and, and the NAR is not a single network. It's not like there's one organization that people join to be part of the NAR. It's actually there are thousands of men and women who claim to be apostles, and they lead their own networks of churches. And in some cases, these networks could be pretty small, like maybe they'll have, be an apostle over like 12 churches. But in other cases, uh, they can be extremely large, uh, such as one apostolic network um, that's called Harvest Interne- International Ministry that's based in Pasadena, California. It's led by uh, Apostle Cheon. But this the single network claims to encompass more than 20,000 churches in 50 nations. So if you can wow. imagine the type of authority that Apostle Cheon has um, working in conjunction uh, with Prophet James Gole, working together the type of exor- authority they exert over, you know, 20,000 churches. It's, um, yeah. it's pretty crazy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And that's a name that I've, I've heard so many times kicked around. Uh, Cheon. Yeah. C. Peter Wagner, uh, Rick Joyner, um, uh, uh, Bill Johnson, so many of these, these bigger names. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Now, uh, in these movements, then the apostle enjoys this, this elevated position, but it actually can bring a lot of, of division, uh, pain, hurt, uh, to, to people who follow the advice or the authority of these prophets. Um, do you have any examples of, of this type of thing happening? Yes, you know, in, in our um, our book, God's Super Apostles, actually includes um, uh, several stories, true stories of of ways, specific ways people have been harmed by this movement, but um, mm-hmm. specific types of harm that have been experienced by uh, believers as a result of these NAR teachings include um, becoming dependent on prophets to guide them on decisions like who to marry, where to live. Um, you know, um, where to work. Um, so, so dependence or over dependence on profits to guide them in making decisions. Um, disillusionment when promises made by NAR leaders don't pan out. For example, um, people are promised that they will be able to develop miraculous powers when they follow mm-hmm. the apostles and prophets. And, and when that doesn't happen, uh, people can grow disillusioned and, and wonder what's wrong with them. Does God not love them? And, and and actually even start to question the truth of the entire Christian faith, and, which is really, really concerning. And I've heard of stories of people coming out of this movement, and they just stop attending church because they they just don't know what's true anymore, and and that's uh, particularly uh, troubling. And um, and then also another type of harm is the division. I, I think you referenced already. You know, churches split over these teachings because when an apostle comes and says, you must submit to me <laughs> that or be outside of the will of God. That's divisive. And people in a church have to decide, will they side with the apostle? Uh, <laughs> will they go with what they think is the truth of God's word? And, and it causes division, and not just in churches, but within families. 
because, um, you know, the children, uh, children, adult children may start following an apostle or a prophet and their parents are concerned and, and the adult children will, will kind of view their parents as less spiritual because they don't accept these in our teachings and that hurts the parents. And one story we share, uh, you know, uh, these grandparents are concerned that they won't even be allowed to have access to their grandchildren anymore because their children have started following NAR apostles and prophets who have, who have kind of indicated that the grandparents might have a curse on them. And so oh, these are wonderful Christian grandparents who, who, you know, are concerned that they will be denied access to their own grandchildren over these teachings. So, um, and, and then also just, uh, another real type of harm is the, um, stunted spiritual growth that people who have been part of this movement report that they experienced. And, um, they didn't recognize it at the time, but after coming out of the movement, they realized that these NAR teachings and practices were distracting them from focusing on true biblical teachings and practices that lead to true spiritual maturity. And so um, so they often feel like they spent years just wasting their time on these practices and teachings that, that um, you know, they, it's just lost time for them. Right, yeah, and, and um, absolutely. There were so many of these stories that you uh, mentioned in God's Super Apostles that I could relate to. Uh, for example, you mentioned um, a couple that had a child. The doctor said that the child had some kind of an illness that would lead to death if they did not operate. Um, everybody, well, the the apostle, I think it was, had told them that it was going to be okay and that God was testing them, basically. Um, <clears throat> maybe I'm imposing a, a particular story that I know personally on your story, but it made me think of a particular time where I know a couple who also had a child, and that child needed to have an operation. Uh, the pastor of the church, who somewhat tried to portray himself as a prophet slash apostle, um, was, in fact, I think I think he was actually. Uh, 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 commissioned as an apostle so along those lines by other apostles but anyway had told them that that God had told him that they were not to operate on this child that they were being tested and they were to renounce the the word curses of the doctors and trust that God was going to heal the baby well the the child died died in their arms a couple days after birth because they did not get that operation it was horrible absolutely horrible and yes I've seen people leave the church because uh, basically have lost their faith because they've heard so many false prophecies or kept expecting that they were going to receive some miraculous powers and nothing happened so they ended up losing their faith and leaving um, it, it's it's a dangerous movement when you submit to these people who have this kind of authority and then claim that the Lord said this or that uh, and, and use that authority on you, and then you stake, you make major decisions, major decisions in life based off what they say, only to find out the Lord did not say that to that person. Uh, it, it's very tragic. So, okay, what is the new apostolic uh, reformation movement? What do they mean when they say apostle? Right, and in and, and answer to that question, I, I want to start by saying what they're not saying. They're, when they 
refer to an apostle. They're not referring to someone who is just like a missionary or a church planner. Um, you know, classical Pentecostals and Charismatics uh, see people as some people as having the gift of apostle, and that would be someone who's like a missionary or a church planner. They're very effective at what they do. Sure. Uh, that's not what they're saying. Uh, Nar apostles hold a formal office in church government, like the office of pastor or elder, except that the apostles' office wields much more authority than a pastor or elder because the pastors and elders must submit to them, and also because apostles govern multiple churches, not just a single church. So apostles are often referred to in the movement as like the generals of God's army. And um, and all other leaders and Christians are are expected to submit to them. So that's something very different than you know than how a classical Pentecostal or charismatic might use the word apostle. Right. So what what type of authority and privileges, um, maybe even slash powers, do uh, does this office of the apostle enjoy? Right. Well, in the role of governing the church. Uh, they receive new revelation for the church. Either the apostles will receive it directly themselves or, or from prophets they work with. And then based on the revelation they receive, they'll cast vision for the church, you know, the, the direction that, that they think a church should go. Um, they see themselves as leading the church in spiritual warfare, um, imparting miraculous gifts to people in the church, settling disputes in the church imposing church discipline, and when they feel it's necessary, they can even come in and correct the pastor's teaching. Mm. Um, okay, and then people are supposed to submit to these apostles, and I think you've pretty much you've touched on this already, but how does that work? Um, I've heard this referred to as covering theology, or uh, in our church it was referred to as just submitting to a covering uh, how does that work right well everyone's supposed to submit to the authority or the covering of an apostle um, a pastor submits to the authority of an apostle by voluntarily joining an apostolic network so that would be a network of churches that are governed by an apostle um, and the pastor also usually agrees to give a portion of the church's income income to the apostle and then um, individual church members submit to an apostle when they join a church that is part of an apostolic network, so a church that has the proper spiritual covering. And um, so when someone submits to an apostle, it's said they have the proper spiritual covering, and thus, you know, they'll be the recipients of God's special protection and, and blessing. So that's a real incentive to submit to the covering of an apostle. Um, and they believe that, you know, protection and blessing are rewards God promises to all those who submit to God-given authority. So that's, that's the teaching about spiritual covering, or it's even sometimes just referred to as apostolic covering. Yeah, I've, I've actually been taught, um, the, the pastor that I was under for a while was trying to get me to read John uh, Bevere's book, uh, Covering. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I was taught was that when you are not fully submitting to your covering, you open yourself up for all kinds of demonic slash spiritual attacks. So that there was this motivation to submit because you were afraid if you didn't, 
um, you would start having health problems, financial problems, uh, spiritual problems, sin problems. Uh, it, it, it actually really does get a hold of you. I mean, if you really absorb and take on this teaching of covering theology, it can, it can really um, sink its roots deep into your mind and give you all kinds of issues. Um, it, it really is a, ba- a brain trip, really. Um, so anyway, moving on, you, you've mentioned C. Peter Wagner. I want to read this quote. Uh, friends, you got to check this out. Uh, C. Peter Wagner, and, and he's often referred to as the guy that really got this movement going. He's, he's most likely uh, the most influential person in this movement. Um, he says this, The responsibility of pastors is to care for, nurture, and comfort the flock, very few pastors have either the gifts or the temperament to mobilize an army for war. Apostles, on the other hand, do. Holly, what, what does he mean by mobilizing an army for war? Right, well, that, that quotation comes from his book uh, that is called Dominion, How Kingdom Action Can Change the World. And um, in context there, he's referring to mobilizing an army of Christians for spiritual warfare, against powerful evil spirits he believes exert control over the nations. So this type of non-spiritual warfare is known as strategic level spiritual warfare, and it's um, it's very much a NAR form of spiritual warfare, uh, and, and that's what he's referring to there about mobilizing an army for war. Okay. Interesting. And so... Um, Tell me about some of the influential apostles in this movement, like, you know, some names that people would recognize. Right. We've mentioned a couple of those names, but some of the names a lot of people would more immediately recognize are Bill Johnson uh, from Bethel Church in Redding, California, Mike Bickle from the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, Randy Clark from Global Awakening in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Rick Joyner from Morningstar Ministries based in Fort Mill, South Carolina. Cindy Jacobs from Generals International in Red Oak, Texas. Dutch Sheets, uh, he's the author of a number of books including um, Intercessory Prayer is, is a big one. Uh, Bill Heyman from Christian International Ministries in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. He's one of the most influential uh, prophets in, in this movement. Um, Lou Engel has organized the call uh, stadium-sized prayer and fasting rallies uh, that have been held throughout the United States and even other parts of the world. And then, of course, uh, as you mentioned, T. Peter Wagner. He's a uh, formerly a longtime professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. And so through his tenure there, at, uh, his time there at Fuller, he, uh, he was responsible for introducing the idea of, of present-day apostles and prophets to the kind of larger evangelical academic world. So kind of a little rabbit trail here, but you know quite a bit about this NAR movement was there ever a time that you were part of this movement? No, no. Actually, I have have never been involved uh, with this movement. <laughs> I actually started researching it about 12 years ago, and, and the way I began doing that was um, I was working as the managing editor of Biola Magazine at the time, and in that capacity, I would receive correspondence from from 
uh, the magazine's readers. And this woman had sent an email to the university uh, describing this movement that had become very influential in her city. And, and she was basically pleading uh, for a biola professor to write a book responding to the movement's teaching. She knew it wasn't biblical, but she felt like there needed to be a response to this movement's teachings that uh, was kind of a high-caliber biblical response. And um, so as I was reading her email, it kind of piqued my attention because I thought, I've never heard of this movement. How can it be so influential like she describes? And so I started, you know, doing Google searches and learning about this movement, and I just couldn't believe how large and influential this movement was that I had never even heard of. And, and as I started learning about it, I started recognizing that people I knew um, and uh, friends I knew were part of this movement. And and that's really what got me digging and researching. And, um, and, and then later, you know, uh, actually with my co-author, Doug Guyvett, who is a professor at, at Biola Seminary Talbot School of Theology, uh, becoming the people to write the book. <laughs> so so that was uh, something interesting that at the time when she contacted the school looking for someone to write a book, I never imagined that all these years later <laughs> that would be me. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it, it really is a, an influential movement. I mean, it, it just seems like everywhere you go, you see its roots uh, in, in so many Christians' uh, beliefs in their theology. Uh, just last weekend, I was visiting with some old friends, and just out of nowhere, uh, one of the guys I'm talking to starts talking about Rick Joyner and starts quoting stuff from one of his books. Uh, oh, boy, I think it was either The Call or The Quest. I can't remember... Which of the two? I read them both. Uh, but he's talking about a, a religious civil war that's going to be breaking out between um, those who are more attuned uh, to the, the, the NAR belief systems and are walking in miraculous signs and wonders and those who are more, uh, well, have that religious spirit who want to constantly bring us back to that old dusty Bible. It was so bizarre to hear him talking about this. So, yeah, sorry, another rabbit trail. But, yeah, it just seems like everywhere you go, you see these these teachings uh, showing themselves in people's theology. Um, so, okay, the, the New Apostolic Reformation, they subscribe to the idea that apostles must be for today. What type of scriptures do they use to support their claims that apostles are for today, uh, that we should be submitting to, to apostles in our churches? Well, there are three main passages uh, that are used. Um, these are the primary ones. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 is uh, the most uh, cited passage, um, and that's, and he, referring to Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Uh, that's from the ESV translation. Um, so that's the primary passage. And in the following verse, verse 13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So non-leaders will teach that, you know, they, 
It says here that God gave five offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. That's referred to as the fivefold ministry teaching. Mm. And that these mm-hmm. offices must govern the church until the church attains to unity and maturity. And, and so what they'll say is clearly, who would say the church has attained unity and maturity since, since it hasn't, uh, then these offices must still be needed for today. So that's the primary um, passage. And then Ephesians 2.20, um, about the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, uh, would be another verse. And then 1 Corinthians 12.28, which says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So they would say again, it says here, God appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets. Uh, so these are offices that are intended to hold, you know, the, the highest place in church government. So uh, how are they twisting and misinterpreting well, the scriptures that they're using? Well, interestingly, in, in all three passages, um, all three passages, first of all, say nothing about governing offices. Right. Um, in the case of Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, it's simply listing various types of leaders God has given to build up the church. It doesn't state that they must hold governing offices. In fact, it doesn't even list all these types of leaders uh, God has given to the church. For example, it says nothing about deacons, um, though deacons are clearly discussed in other passages of the Bible. Um, so it would be an incorrect interpretation of this passage to say it teaches that the church must have five ongoing governing offices, including apostles and prophets. Um, again, in Ephesians 2.20, nothing about governing offices. And also, this passage is speaking about the time period at the beginning of the church, when it was founded by first century apostles and prophets. So it couldn't properly be used to argue uh, that there are ongoing offices of apostle and prophet. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, nothing about governing offices. It simply lists types of gifted persons uh, God has given the church, which includes not only apostles and prophets, but other types of ministries like speaking in tongues and helping. But no one we know of, not even our leaders, would claim that there should be a formal office of speaking in tongues. <laughs> <laughs> so they can't correctly use this verse to argue for an office of apostle or prophet. Um, and, and what they'll say is, well, you can because it's a first apostles, second prophets. And, you know, they'll, they'll refer to the first and second there, but um, they're not listed first and second because of important, you know, because they're powerful figures in this hierarchical government. It's because of their importance, uh, the importance of their functions in strengthening the church. Mm. Okay. Do you, so do you believe that apostles, uh, the office of apostle, if you will, uh, was a temporary thing? Um, yes, I do. And um, I believe it was temporary for at least three reasons. First, the 12 apostles, uh, Christ, you know, apostles, had a unique role as companions of Jesus, and they were eyewitnesses of his earthly ministry all the way through his death and resurrection. So with their passing, there can be no more living eyewitnesses who can add records of Jesus' life and teachings. Um, 
Second, Paul presented a case that he was the final apostle. For him, receiving a personal appearance from Christ was a requirement for being a late arriving apostle, and, and that's from uh, 1 Corinthians 9.1. So since he was the last person to whom you know Christ appeared, he was the last to qualify for apostleship, and, and that would be 1 Corinthians 15.8. And then third, Scripture gives no instruction for appointing future apostles, and, and no indication either that any should be recognized following the death of the apostles of Christ. But it does provide you know, instructions for the appointments of um, elders and deacons. And so, right. so these are three reasons that, that indicate that this office was a temporary office. So, uh, okay, what is the biblical version of the apostle, and how is that different from what we see in the New Apostolic Reformation? Right. Well, um, NAR apostles claim to have the same authority of the apostles of, of Christ, um, including the Twelve and Paul. But interestingly, uh, we see that even with the Twelve and Paul, who, who did hold a temporary office uh, in the church, they did not claim to exert authority um, beyond the church into the, uh, you know, the institutions of society. And so, so you can see that even, even these apostles with, who had this great authority in the early church, their authority did not extend beyond the church. Um, but not apostles claim that, that their authority actually extends beyond the church into the secular societal institutions like media and government and education and so, so you can see there a huge difference between, you know, the biblical apostles and the non apostles. Right, right. Um, in your book, God's Super Apostles, uh, on page 27, you mention some different ways that we can judge whether or not these apostles from the New Apostolic Reforma Reformation are from Christ or if they're false apostles. Did you want to go over some of those? You listed a whole bunch of scriptures, and I thought it was great. Right, right. Well, there uh, we talked about uh, a number of passages from Second Corinthians, um, which show that the false apostles were characterized by greed, arrogance, self self promotion, um, concern with superficiality, like outward appearance, um, mm -hmm. speaking skill. Um, they deceptively twisted scripture. Um, most alarmingly, they preached a different Jesus and a different gospel. Um, mm. They claimed to be super apostles. Uh, that the title of, of one of our books, God's Super Apostles, came from, from those passages. Um, but the Bible contains five tests for being a genuine apostle, um, which we detail in our books. And, and these tests are, um, Someone who claims to be an apostle must have received a personal appearance from Christ. That, that is, literally, they were visited by Christ. Um, they must have received a specific commission by Christ. Uh, the, they must uh, be able to perform miracles that can be publicly verified. We're not talking about things like, um, you know, you cured um, a backache maybe in a back room <laughs> uh, where nobody can can you know verify that but they must be publicly right. verifiable because these people are claiming that they are you know performing miracles that authenticate their status as special messengers of God and so because of that the miracles that they perform in support of that claim must be extraordinary 
like the, you know, biblical apostles, um, they must be able to support in scripture any new teachings and practices they bring. And uh, they must have an exemplary personal character and quality of ministry. Um, Amen to that. So those are the, the five tests for a genuine apostle that we outline in our books. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, when you look at so many of these teachers that are claiming apostle um, status, and even those who claim to be prophets, you see that so many of these things, motivated by money, self-promoting, um, superficialities, uh, you know, and, and arrogant, boasting, you see so many, so many of these qualities, uh, abuse of authority, um, you hear so many of them will utter false prophecies, that's certainly a problem. Uh, a lot of times you'll find some major sin in their life, usually uh, sexual sins, uh, things of this nature. And then, of course, yeah, they, they do bring out many different types of uh, new theology, new revelations that turns out completely contradicts with God's word or is just somewhat irreverent. Uh, you know, there's many teachings that are out there you hear uh, that, that come for new revelations that are just flat out irreverent towards God. It's almost like they're trying to bring God down and elevate themselves. It's, it's, um, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's, uh, disheartening, I guess. Um, so you mentioned, okay, I just talked about new revelations. How can we know if these revelations are from God? Well, you know, uh, we believe that the sum of revelation we have available today uh, was completed when the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. Um, interestingly, the book of Reve Revelation does foretell the rise in the last day of two witnesses who will bring a prophetic message that's in Revelation 11. So for those who hold to a, a futurist interpretation of the book of Revelation, uh, we are expecting you know, these two witnesses in the last days, but these prophets and any others who claim to bring new revelation must be tested. And uh, Scripture gives three key tests for prophets, anyone who claims to bring new revelation uh, for the church and um, or for God's people. And these tests are the fulfillment test. If they make a prediction, it must come to pass exactly as predicted, um, the orthodoxy test, uh, which requires that prophets' words must line up with revelation already given by God, and the lifestyle test. Their lives must not be characterized by, you know, greed, drunkenness, idolatry, or sexual immorality. So, so those are our three tests that we outline in our books for, um, you know, for anyone who claims to be a genuine prophet of God. And so <clears throat> we've talked so much about these apostles of the NAR movement. Uh, what about prophets? Who are the prophets, according to the New Apostolic Reformation? Well, they believe prophets, like apostles, must hold a formal church office governing the church. So again, um, you know, classical Pentecostals, charismatics will will say they believe in a miraculous spiritual gift of prophecy that God has sure. has distributed to some Christians, and that um, 
they see that primarily as a gift that God has given to prophesy to individuals or, or just local churches. Um, but in the NAR, apostles hold a formal church office. They must govern the church and direct it in an authoritative way. And um, we describe them as like the secret intelligence agents because, you know, the general, the, the apostles are the, described as generals. The prophets are more like secret, secret intelligence agents because they know God's secret thoughts and plans and they guide churches based on their inside information. So they're seen as God's official mouthpieces, similar to Old Testament prophets like Moses and Elijah. And to disobey the words of an our prophet is to disobey God. Right, right. Now, uh, contrast that with a the biblical version of a prophet. Well, in the prophet or in the Bible, a prophet was a person who spoke for God. Um, so, um, interestingly, though, um, prophets in the Bible did not hold offices. Um, it's uh, there's there's no indication uh, that uh, prophets in the New Testament held a church office. There's just there's just no evidence for that. Um, the right. only the offices we clearly see in the New Testament, other than the temporary office of apostle, are the offices of, you know, um, elder and deacon. And so there's just no evidence for that. And even in the Old Testament, there's there's really no evidence that prophets held a formal governing office. After the nation of Israel was established, it was led by judges and, and kings and prophets would act as advisors to those kings, um, but but there's just not good reason to believe that they, you know, that they governed from an office in the way that our leaders uh, describe. So, so what are some potential dangers of following uh, prophets, NAR prophets, I should right, say? Right, right. Well, since they claim to have such extraordinary authority, their words are taken very seriously by their followers, and I'm sure that's something you can testify to based on your, <laughs> your past involvement uh, with this movement. But um, So their followers can become dependent on them and, and become fearful to make any major life decisions without first receiving guidance from a prophet. Um, so they become either immobilized to do anything, um, or, you know, they, they feel like they need guidance on where to live, where to work, who to marry, um, which ministry to serve in, what spiritual gift they have, you know. And um, they can also obey the words of a prophet as the very words of God and make unwise decisions based on the guidance of the prophet. So, for instance, we tell the story of a, a true story of a couple in our book, God's Super Apostles, uh, they cashed out their retirement to undertake a business venture, you know, at the, mm. at the advice of a prophet. And to this day, this business venture has failed to get off the ground. But this prophet had told them, you know, if you do this, it will be profitable and you will be able to give of its profits to God. And, and that has not yet materialized. But instead of, interestingly, instead of seeing this man as not a genuine prophet, Instead, they think, oh, there must be some kind of curse on the property. <laughs> so sadly, you know, they've been engaged in practices of um, trying to identify, you know, uh, how, this curse that has been placed on the property and how to break it based on the advice of this prophet. <laughs> right, right. And that's where we get into uh, strategic level spiritual warfare. But we'll we'll talk about that next week. But, but yeah, that's um, – mm. now, okay – 
I know, uh, personally, I know a guy who claims to be, I think, an apostle, um, Norm Franz, who would travel to Israel and would prophesy to their former prime minister. Um, he also had uh, an opportunity to speak to one of the presidents, I think President Bush, uh, and prophesy to them. W what is this whole idea of prophesying to the nations, and, and is it a dangerous practice? Well, you know, the idea is, is that prophets and our prophets have authority besides governing within churches. They have authority to um, prophesy to entire nations, and um, that could be words of guidance uh, during an election. It could be, you know, words of judgment if they don't respond correctly. Um, and so similar to what they would see in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament prophets doing, but... Um, it just doesn't seem that there is a role for prophets to prophesy to nations today. And the reason I say that is after Pentecost, you know, in the New Testament, there is not a single example of a New Testament prophet prophesying to civil rulers or pronouncing judgment on nations. Uh, it just can't be found until you see the two witnesses in the book of Revelation who, who are to rise in the last days. So that's interesting because... The church has been commissioned to preach the gospel of salvation to all nations. Right now is, is not the day of God's wrath. It's the day to proclaim the gospel. And, and you know, the day of God's wrath is, is future, which interestingly is, is at the time that the two witnesses rise with their prophetic message. But in, in this time now, uh, we're to be focusing on proclaiming the gospel, not calling down judgments on nations. Yes, amen to that. You know, coming from where I come from, from this movement, it seems like so much energy and time and money is wasted um, chasing after uh, imaginary uh, uh, conflicts, imaginary uh, solutions to problems. Uh, there's, there, you know, it's got to be a territorial demon here that's that's causing this problem, or you've got a word curse or a family uh, um, uh, um, generational curse on your family line that you need to break. You know, all these types of things, prayer walking, which we'll talk about next week. It seems like so much time and money is thrown at and wasted to fight these imaginary battles. Uh, and here we are, we've got this great commission to be bringing the, the gospel to the nations, and we're getting caught up, uh, you know, walking around buildings with shofars and blowing horns to try and break a curse over a building, or, you know, you know what I'm saying, these different types of things that uh, happen. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's sad, it's bizarre. We really should be putting the gospel first. So, okay, so today, this has been great, Holly. Um, we got to do this again next week. Uh, really quick, though, tell me about your book, God's Super Apostles. Okay, well, God's Super Apostles, uh, the subtitle is Encountering the Worldwide Prophets and Apostles Movement. I, uh, as you noted already, I co-authored this book with R. Douglas Guyvet. He's a professor of theology at Talbot School, or I'm sorry, a professor of philosophy at Talbot School of Theology, and um, has authored uh, numerous other books. But um, 
this book provides an entry-level, kind of concise overview of the teachings of the New Apostolic Reformation and, and you know, examines, uh, evaluates these teachings on the basis of Scripture. And um, so this is, we've written a second book that I believe we'll be talking about next time that's more um, thorough, more heavily documented, goes into much more depth. But this is the beginner's introduction to the New Apostolic Reformation, God's Super Apostles. And I got to say, I loved this book. Um, there was a, it was about uh, two weeks ago. I wasn't feeling good. I took the day off work. I ended up reading this entire book in an afternoon. Just ate it up. Absolutely ate it up. So yeah, friends, if you want to get this book, uh, of course you can get it from Amazon, but I bet you that Holly would prefer you went, well, can you get it from your website? Uh, well, Holly? actually, you know, if if they went to Weaver Book Company, um, Weaver Book Company is the publisher of the books, and Jim Weaver there, um, just a wonderful man who... Uh, my author, my co-author and I are very grateful to for seeing the importance of these books and um, believing believing in them and that they will contribute to the health of the church. And so I know that if the books are purchased through Weaver Book Company, that um, a greater portion of the proceeds will, will go to support Weaver Book Company. But they're also available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, you know, christianbook.com, I think it is, um, or they can be ordered through local bookstores as well. Yeah, and you know, something I just learned recently uh, is, I, I guess, when you put a book up on Amazon, from what I understand, you really, uh, um, the sale of a book, the author only gets about a dollar of that sale. <clears throat> and, you know, I know you're not doing this for money, but at the same time, you know, friends, if you want to support somebody and basically with your money encourage them to keep going in this direction and uh, helping people with with good christian literature that's actually going to help people come out of error then yeah i would i would suggest yeah go to weaver book company uh at least some of that money is is not going to amazon but it's going to better causes um hopefully holly you get a little more out of that um if they go through weaver i'm hoping <laughs> Well, uh, uh, it, the, the other thing about going to Weaver I wanted to mention to your audience is I believe the ebook that you order through Weaver Book Company, you can actually use on multiple platforms. Um, so at Amazon, I think the ebook, uh, is just, you can just use on a Kindle. If that's correct, I'm not fully familiar with how ebook, ebooks work, but, um, I believe that the, the ebook published by Weaver, you can use on multiple uh, platforms besides just Kindle. So that that's an added probably incentive to purchase through Weaver Book Company. Okay. All right. And I did mention your web... Wait, no, I didn't. Spiritoferror.org. Guys, her website is spiritoferror.org. Looks like there is uh, numerous articles to check out. Uh, a lot of information, more information on this movement and other uh, cult-type uh, um, uh, movements, it looks like. I see here that you were interviewed by Greg Kokel on March 3rd. That's pretty cool. Well, uh, yeah, I love I, Greg Kokel. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, actually, uh, my co-author, Doug, was interviewed by Greg. Greg oh. was a former student of his at Talbot, so, so they have a long history together. But, yes, Doug was interviewed about our books on that program. Okay, love Greg Kokel. Good stuff. So, all right, well, 
Hey, Holly, it has been a pleasure and a privilege and an honor to have you on the podcast today. Um, I can't wait to get together and do this again next week. Me too. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks so much, Michael. Okay, so there you have it. Again, that's Holly Pivik. Uh, her website, spiritofair.org. Speaking of spiritofair.org, this is hot off the press. Uh, <laughs> this was actually uh, uh, an article that Holly just released today on our website. I want to read this to you really quick because I think this is, well, it's somewhat relevant to the art uh, or the interview today, but it's also very relevant to what's going on right now. The title is NAR, or as Holly says, NAR, uh, either way works. NAR prophet Chuck Pierce gives mantle to Mormon Glenn Beck. So here we go. It says, on Sunday, Chuck Pierce, an influential prophet in the new apostolic reformation, presented a new mantle for the future to television and radio host Glenn Beck, a Mormon. The mantle was presented to Glenn Beck at Pierce's Global Spheres Center in Corinth, Texas, during a church service Beck attended with his family. Some of Pierce's followers expressed concern that Pierce would present a mantle to a Mormon. Pierce responded Sunday by posting a brief comment on Facebook defending his action. Uh, in short, Pierce distanced himself from the mantle by claiming that Glenn Beck is devoted to Israel. The mantle was given from Israel, in quotes. Uh, it appears from the other comments presented on Pierce's Facebook page, many of his followers, followers are buying his explanation. But I'm not. Here's why. What's a mantle? Anyone who is deeply involved in the NAR understands what it means when a prophet presents a mantle to someone. This practice is an allusion to a story in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19, when the prophet Elijah gives to the prophet Elisha his cloak or mantle, as the word is rendered in the King James Version. This biblical story is interpreted by people in the NAR as a symbolic action, showing that the prophet Elijah was naming the prophet Elisha as his prophetic successor. So when Pierce presented a mantle to Beck, people in the audience who regard Pierce as a prophet understood that their prophet was conferring some type of prophetic status on Beck. Uh, note from Mike Bohm, yes, exactly. Okay, sorry, moving on with the article. This should trouble Christians. Why? Because a leading prophet in the NAR is recognizing a member of the Mormon church, a cult of Christianity, which rejects essential doctrines of the Christian faith. It absolutely does. Again, that's my comment, sorry. As a true messenger of God, a true prophet of God would do no such thing. Pierce apparently felt the need to offer a further justi justification for his action yesterday. He posted a lengthier comment in which he acknowledged that Beck is a Mormon, though he also hinted that Beck may be on the path to becoming fully Christian. And take notice that he referred to Beck as a specific individual's son in the Lord, language that is typically, typically used by Christians to describe a, tr a true Christian believer. Certainly many of Pierce's followers have interpreted Pierce's actions action to mean that he recognizes Beck as a fellow Christian. Petty details? Really? 
Alarm bells should ring for people in the NAR when they see their leaders giving mantles to non-Christians. But sadly, they're not ringing for some. The following undiscerning comment posted on Pierce's Facebook page by one of his followers sums up many of the other comments. This comment goes as follows. Uh, Who cares if Glenn Beck is Mormon? You know the Global Spheres team. You know they hear from the Lord. Oh, man. Sorry. Uh, Let's celebrate that Jesus... Let's celebrate the Jesus we see in the love extended. The Lord can manage this situation. Don't be drawn into petty details. That's the end of the comment. Moving on. Notice how the commenter assumes that Chuck Pierce and his ministry should not be questioned because they hear from the Lord. Notice also how she downplays the stark and important differences between Christianity and Mormonism, describing the differences in the two religions as petty details. What this is really about. With the presidential election around the corner, the timing of Pierce's mantle giving is no coincidence. Beck didn't just happen to stop by Pierce's church last Sunday morning. Pierce didn't just happen to present Beck with a mantle out of courtesy for his high-profile visitor. This event was orchestrated. Think about it. Pierce gives a mantle to Beck, and as a result, people in the NAR movement will now listen to Beck when he speaks in support of a presidential candidate. Who will he speak in support of? He's thrown his support to Ted Cruz, who just yesterday announced that he'll run for the Republican Party nomination for 2016. Interestingly, some researchers Researchers have sought to show close ties between Ted Cruz's minister father, Rafael Cruz. I have actually in in, uh, my previous series on the NAR. I did actually do just that. Anyway, sorry. And the NAR NAR movement. See one such report here. Um, And you can click there. Notice the NAR teachings referenced in the article, including divine government a reference to apostle-led government, the end-time transfer of wealth and dominion, dominionism, talked about that in many podcasts, uh, sorry, does Ted Cruz also have ties to the NAR? This is something to watch. Here's the takeaway. In politics, as the NAR becomes increasingly powerful, it's not enough to follow the money. You must also follow the mantle. All right. So that again, that was off of spiritoferror.org, Holly Pivik's website, really good website, lots of very insightful articles. Uh, Check it out, guys. Uh, Yikes. That is interesting, is it not? Anyway, uh, next week we'll have Holly back on. We'll finish this uh, particular series off. Uh, really, you guys got to check out our two books. They're fantastic. Again, if you want the more layman's level book, it's God's Super Apostles. And of course, then there is the uh, uh, more scholarly approach to this subject. And that book is A New Apostolic Reformation, A Biblical Response to a Worldwide Movement. Anyway, I'm going to stop right there, friends. uh, Yeah, we'll catch you next week. I love you guys, and we'll see you next week.